Well, as everyone, uh, the kids head out. With, if you would, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. If you have your phone with you, and you have a Bible app on your phone that you'd like to open up, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew, leading up to studying the, the Sermon on the Mount. I know I sometimes mention those Bible apps. If you have your phone with you, you can open up. If you're curious about a good option to put on your phone, if you search through the Android store, you go through the App Store, there's one called the ESV. If you just type in ESV Bible in the App Store, it'll take you to a very clean, simple Bible app. If you're looking for something a little bit more in-depth with some more options, there's one called YouVersion, Y-O-U, and then Version. It has multiple Bible versions available in there. Plus, one of the good things about the YouVersion app is it has reading plans built in. So you wake up in the morning, you open the YouVersion app, your reading for the day is right there. You don't have to keep a, a sheet of paper or anything like that. It has it built into the app. And, and that's actually developed by a church in Oklahoma that we've been connected with in the past. It's a really, it's a really solid uh, app for your phone. So sometimes I mention open your phone. I know that seems a little bit strange, but I want you to know that if, if you've got access to God's Word through that device, it's with you all the time and you can use it. So just wanted to throw that out there. Also, up on the screen behind me, it just says, thank you. I just want to say thank you for so many things right now. First, thank you for how good you've been to my family over the past year. We, the idea that we've been here for a year, we thank you for the love that you've shown us and the care that you've shown us. It means, means so much to us. Thanks as well to everyone who serves with our kids. We say it over and over and over again, but we love to have kids here. Kids are not a distraction to worship. They add to worship. We're never going to say the kids are a distraction because if so, I was a terrible distraction this morning during the music because my kids are, are in and out. If you are here and you have kids or you have friends who would like to bring their kids, know that we have things that are available. If you're a guest, any of the doors on this direction will take you out to a TV, so if you need to go out with your kids during the service, you can continue to watch the service both upstairs and downstairs over this direction. Also, thanks for the way that you gave to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We, and by we I mean me, set a goal of $2,014 for our church to give to this offering that goes entirely to mission work around the world. Well, I was embarrassed by, by my goal because we gave over $5,000 this year to the, uh, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So I will not be setting the goal next year uh, for, the, uh, for the offering. And, and the good thing about that Christmas offering is the fact that all of it goes directly to the missionaries. None of it gets tied up in bureaucracy. None of it, none of it goes to general budget. All of it goes directly to, to the missionaries. And so thanks for doing that. Thanks for the way that you give. You give of yourself. You give of your money. You give of your time. And, and so I just wanted to say thanks for that. All right, let's get into Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11 today, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into a portion of that. Here's what it says, and, and the, the text will be on the screen as well. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, 
If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. May God bless the reading of his word. I really, really, really hope that very few of you came this morning to see me dance, okay? I I put something out on Facebook this week asking, can Baptist pastors dance and what does it mean? I I can't remember exactly what I wrote, but I realized the moment I posted it, I probably shouldn't have have posted that, but... uh, I have to tell you, I am a terrible dancer. And not only that, I don't really even like dancing. I I think that it's too many bad high school dance uh, memories. I just just don't like it at all. My little girls, they love to dance. And I have been a part of some dance classes in their room that no one would ever know about or ever need to see. But uh, I've participated in some dance classes, but they were all in my house. I just don't just don't like dancing at, at all. I had an experience where when I was living in New Orleans, when, when my family was in New Orleans, I was teaching at the seminary, and then there's also another seminary besides the Baptist seminary. There's another seminary in New Orleans called Union Seminary, and what Union is, is back in the day when black students and white students didn't go to school together in seminary, Union was the Black Baptist Seminary for New Orleans. Over the years, by God's grace, thankfully, the relationship has improved with those two schools to the point now that we're partners. We're we're teammates in ministry, and so people at the New Orleans Baptist Seminary where I was and where I was doing some teaching, we would go over to Union and teach. And so I taught a lot of classes there one semester, and they invited me to come and be a part of the graduation ceremony. So we got to the rehearsal for the graduation ceremony, and the president stands up and says, we're going to do this service right. We're going we're gonna to do this graduation right. And when you walk in, I want you to put some, some life in it. Put some, and then he says the R word, put some rhythm in it when you walk in to this graduation service. Now, I'm the only white guy in the building at this point, because I'm teaching for a black seminary at the time, and I've become not only the only white guy in the building, I've become the whitest white guy in the building, because all I heard was rhythm, and all I can imagine is myself walking into this graduation ceremony with these other guys walking in who really did have rhythm. And so the time comes for the graduation ceremony, and I'm just sweating like crazy because I know people are already staring at me, but they're about to really be staring at me. And so I'm thinking to myself, what do I do? And all I can think is follow the person in front of you. 
And inevitably, the person in front of me really gets into it. Like, step way down toward the floor. Step back, way. And so I think, I just got to go for it. And so I go for it. I follow the guy in front of me with the best white guy rhythm I could come up with at the time. And people came up to me afterward, and they were very kind. Kind in that, don't ever do that again sort of way, kind. But uh, they, they were kind to me. I have no desire to dance. I have no rhythm. I, I don't really enjoy dancing. But let me tell you one dance move that I do have. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a dance move that you guys have. Here's the dance move that I have down very well. It's called the one step forward, two steps back dance move. Do you know that dance move? You take a step forward toward the Lord. You're, you're growing in your faith. You're going to church again after a long time. You're reading your Bible. You're, you're living for the Lord. You take a step forward, and inevitably what happens? You take two steps back. You were growing. You were moving the right direction. You were taking next, next steps. You were following the Lord. And then it happened again. And you think to yourself, every time I take a step forward in my relationship with the Lord, it seems like I then take two steps back. Why does that happen? What does that look like? Well, we see it in Matthew chapter 4 here that what is happening is something called temptation. That when we are growing in our faith, when we are moving toward the Lord, when we are taking steps in our relationship with God, the enemy is not going to like that, and we are going to face temptation. But what I realized when I take those steps back is I realized that I wasn't pushed back. What really bothers me at that point is the darkness in my own heart. When I realized that website that I know I shouldn't visit, but I continue to visit, or those thoughts about that person that I know I shouldn't have, but they creep, creep in, or the second glance that I give something that I know only deserve one glance, or those words that come out that you think, where, where do they come from? And I realized that those two steps back aren't just steps in the wrong direction, they're steps away from the Lord. I was walking toward Christ, I was following after him, and then those temptations come, those thoughts come, those things come into life, and I grab onto them instead of continuing to follow after the Lord. Why does that happen? What does that look like? Matthew 4 gives us a really good picture of what it means to confront that, what it means to deal with that, and what we're going to do is we're going to spend three weeks looking at this temptation scene in Matthew chapter 4. Today, we're only going to look at verse 1. There's so much going on in this story that we need to slow down and look at it. We're only going to look at verse 1 this week. Next week, we're going to look at the first temptation, and then the following week, we're going to look at the second and third temptation. So we really want to understand, what does it look like to follow the Lord, to face these temptations, and then to be able to continue to follow the Lord, not take two steps back. On the screen is Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, and I've marked it up just so you could see the way that I sometimes do this in my Bible study time. We've talked before about the importance of slowing down and making notes when you're reading God's Word. You can see that we've, I've I put words in different colors just to help my mind focus on some of these. Those things that are underlined are, if you're a grammar nerd, they're the prepositions leading into the prepositional phrases. Those prepositions are very important when you're reading the Bible. And so it's good to underline and think, what does that mean? How does that fit in to our reading of God's Word? So what does Matthew chapter 4 teach us about temptation? 
Well, you can see there it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Now that word tempted is very interesting. Remember that even though our Bibles are in English, I know this is very simple, but it's good to review. Even though our Bibles are in English, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the word that is translated tempted there is a word that can mean tempted, but the same exact word can also be translated tested or tried. Now you say, what's the big deal? Well, to be tempted is to be taken away, to be enticed away from the things of the Lord. It's a, it's a negative idea. To be tested is what the Lord does when he says, I'm going to test you. I'm going to allow you to go through something difficult so that your faith will grow. It's a positive idea. So the same word, if you look in your Bible and you see the word tempted, and then you look in another place and you see the word tested, it's the same word. It just depends on if it's a negative idea that Satan is trying to do in your life, or if it's a positive idea where the Lord is trying to test you and build up your strength. Here's a good way to see this. Look in James chapter 1. If you want to turn over there, you can, but the the verses are also going to be up on the screen. James chapter 1, in verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And then here's a very key phrase. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So what we learn from that verse is that God never tempts us. Meaning, God is never going to put something in front of us for the purpose of drawing us away from him. Earlier in the book of James, at the very beginning of James chapter 1, it does say that we are tested. And not only we're tested, we're supposed to rejoice when testing comes. So when the Lord puts something difficult in our life, he does it to build us up so that we will make it through it. Tempted is to draw us away. Now you say, if you're tracking with me, how do I know the difference? How do I know if this experience in life is a temptation or is a test? Well, frankly, a lot of times, they're the same type of experience. A lot of times what will happen is the Lord will test us. Maybe something difficult will come into life that will test our faith, and then Satan will come in, and he will latch onto that, and he will try to tempt us away from the Lord. Here's a story that makes sense of it. It's the story of Job. And the story of Job, what we're reminded of is it's not God who does the tempting. God tests Job, but we know that Satan comes along and wants to tempt Job. Job chapter 1 verse 12, I think we'll have it up on the screen. Job chapter 1 verse 12 says, The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. When Satan seeks to tempt Job, he has to go through the Lord. He can't go to Job on his own initiative. And God is not going to be tempting Job. It's Satan who does the tempting, but God realizes this is a test that I can allow to happen to Job so that Job will grow in his faith. And what we know from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, what we know from there is that no temptation is overtaking you that is not common already to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape 
that you may be able to endure it. So what we know is that temptation, when it's negative, is designed to take us away from the Lord. That same thing can be a trial from the Lord that is designed to grow our faith. But if Satan should ever try to take us away from the Lord, God promises us, he was not the one who tempted us, and he promises us there is a way out. You are not forced to do that. In other words, you cannot take the Flip Wilson card and say the devil made me do it. It's not allowed. Because we know that the Lord always provides a way out when we face those temptations and trials. I know that I'm not even old enough to make the Flip Wilson comment, but I did, so I'll pretend like I knew the quote. Um, It'll work out. Some of you may know Flip Wilson. Who knows? You may know him personally. I don't know. But uh, the, the, idea is, the idea is that when we're tempted, the Lord will provide a way out. But notice how the temptation happens in Matthew chapter 4. It says that he was led by the Spirit... Well, what's going on there? The idea that he was led by the Spirit, it means that God was saying, I'm going to allow this to happen because I'm in control of the situation. So he was led by the Spirit, but then it says he was to be tempted by the devil. The term there for devil is a term for someone who is slandering, someone who is trying to deceive. We know it refers back to Satan. So the story of temptation, and and this is on your notes there on the back of the bulletin, but, but the story of temptation doesn't begin in Matthew chapter 4. The story of temptation begins back in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. Because this is not the first time that Satan showed up and tried to tempt someone. In Genesis chapter 3, we know the story of how Satan comes along and he seeks to deceive Adam and Eve. And he says, you know, God said you're not supposed to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he doesn't know what he's talking about. You're not really going to die. You can't trust the Lord's word. And so Satan comes along, he tempts Eve, he tempts Adam, and ultimately they fall prey to that temptation. They give in to the devil's temptation there. But then look at the next phrase in Matthew chapter 4. This is where the passage really opens up and gets very interesting. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, everything in us wants to say that that's just a throwaway phrase. Into the wilderness just says that that happens to be where Jesus went to be tempted. But when we see the phrase, into the wilderness, our Old Testament sirens should go off. Because here's the story. God's people were enslaved in Egypt. God rescues them out of Egypt. And then where do they go after that? They go into the wilderness. And it takes them about one chapter of being in the wilderness to be tested, to find out if they're truly going to stay faithful to the Lord. And you know what happens in that first chapter that you get into the wilderness? They start complaining, and they start arguing with God, and they start even saying to God, we would rather go back to Egypt. At least we had good food in Egypt. We might have been in slavery. Our lives might have been terrible, but at least we could go back there and we could have good food instead of what you're providing us in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. And then look at this next word, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. 
And so as they went into the wilderness, as the people of God, and this is important, God's people, Israel, were often called God's son. And so God's son came out of Egypt into the wilderness, and he tested them to see if they would remain faithful. Satan latched onto that test and said he would tempt them to try to draw them away from the Lord. And sure enough, they didn't trust in the Lord. So make sure you follow this, because this is, this is fascinating. You get to Matthew chapter 4. Where had Jesus and his family gone when they were running away from King Herod? They'd gone to Egypt. And God, according to Hosea 11.1, 1, God brought his son out of Egypt. And he took them, he took his son through the water, through baptism. How did the Israelites get out of Egypt? Through the water. He took them through the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness. Where does Jesus go after he goes through the water? He goes into the wilderness. What happens when he gets into the wilderness? He is being tested by his father, and he is also being tempted by Satan. But what does Jesus do when he is tempted? He stays strong. He remains faithful. And so what you see in Matthew chapter 4 is Jesus is doing as God's son what Israel was not able to do as God's son in the Old Testament. In other words, Jesus is standing in their place. He is following along the same path that God's people took then, except he is going to overcome the enemy. He is able to overcome Satan in a way that those people never could. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers— in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation, to pay the price for the sins of the people. And then listen to this phrase, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Whenever we are following after the Lord— and we face those temptations that take us away from the Lord, it's so easy to say, I'm the only one who has this struggle. When you're laying in bed at night, and you're fighting those battles in your mind, or when you're at home by yourself, and you're fighting those battles in your gut about to do one thing or not do the other, when you're alone with your spouse or your significant other, and you're in what are the very opening stages of a battle, and you're fighting that temptation, it's so easy to say, no one else knows what this feels like. No one else knows what it's like to be in this temptation, except for the fact that Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 says that our big brother, Jesus, he was tempted in every way as we are tempted. Now, does that mean that he experienced every single same temptation that we did? No. Jesus didn't walk around with a smartphone and have to worry about what pages he was going to pull up on his smartphone. But what we do find from Hebrews, or from Matthew chapter 4, is Jesus faced all of the same temptations that we face. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at those temptations and see how he dealt with those and how we can deal with those. But here's what I want you to know this morning. Here's what we're going to focus in on this morning. Through temptation, Satan wants to tell us that you can have everything that you want right now, but you really don't have to stay true to God's word. 
Satan comes along and says, I can give you what you want, but you don't have to follow this guy's rules over here. It's all about short-term satisfaction over long-term obedience to the Lord. It's the idea that I really don't trust that the Lord is good. I really don't trust that he can lead us through this wilderness. I would rather go back to Egypt and be in slavery, and at least I could eat steak instead of this manna stuff that he's feeding us in the wilderness. And that's what temptation does. It, It cuts at the heart. And here's what I want to get to. Temptation cuts at the heart of whether or not God is really a worthy king and whether he is really a loving father. Because if he is a worthy king, we will follow him wherever he tells us to go. And if he is really a loving father, we will trust him to provide everything that we need. But if we do not believe that he is worthy, and we do not believe he is loving, then we'll take whatever comes along. We'll take whatever comes along and says, I can give you this, but I can give it to you in a shortcut. And who doesn't love a shortcut? Who doesn't love the fact that they can get something good without going through the difficulty that comes with long-term training? What we see in temptation is this constant battle of, I take a step forward, and now I'm being forced to take two steps back. Here's what I want to do the rest of the time this morning, the next couple of minutes. I want to show you a process of how this works. And the reason I want to show you this process is because it's so simple, you can draw it on a napkin. If I sit down and I have coffee or I have breakfast with someone and I'm talking with them about the Lord, I'm talking with them about spiritual things, this is the diagram that I would draw because it involves three circles and it involves three arrows. And if you really want to see it, it's on the back of your bulletin, there, there in your notes. You can take it home. You can look at it and follow along. But we're also going to have it up here on the screen. Let me walk you through this process. It begins with God's design. This is the reality that God created all things good. He created us in his image to live for him. God's design is good and perfect, and if we will follow God's design, we will live the life that he has created us to live. That's the step forward. That's following the Lord. But guess what comes next? There's brokenness. And the reason that brokenness comes is because of sin. This is where the temptation comes in. This is where Satan comes along and says, you really don't want to follow the Lord's design, because do you know how boring that is? Do you know how difficult God's design is? He's just trying to keep you from all the good things of life. But if you'll come over here, if you'll follow me, if you'll do what I say, you're really going to find something good, except for the fact that sin always leads to brokenness. And when we get to that point of brokenness, we're trying to find an escape. When your life is broken, you're trying to put the pieces back together, you'll search out any and all options. Maybe if I just had more money. Maybe if I was just smarter. Maybe if I just tried harder. Maybe if we just moved to a new place. Maybe if we just did. You're trying all of these ways to escape the brokenness of life, not realizing that Satan is the one who drew you away from God's plan and has led you into brokenness. He promised good things, and what did you get? You got brokenness. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Because there's another arrow that leads back to the left, and it's called repent and believe. And it's based on the gospel. 
Now, if you're sitting down with someone this week or sometime this month, and you're, you're talking to them about this diagram, instead of the word gospel, you might just want to write Jesus in that circle. The word gospel is just a fancy church word that means good news. And so you can write gospel in there and you can explain to them what it means. Or you may just want to write Jesus in there. Because what the answer to our brokenness is, is not that we would be better people, but that we would experience the good news of Jesus. That he went to Egypt, he came out of Egypt, he went through the water, he went into the wilderness, he took on the enemy, and he took on our sin. And not only did he take on our sin, but he defeated our sin. And not only did he defeat our sin, but he came back to life so that we could have full and abundant life. That's what he wants to do for us. And the way that we get there is not by being a good person. It's by repenting and believing in the gospel. Believing in what Jesus has done for us. That he's done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And then we run into an interesting situation. Because you realize that the circle isn't complete at this point. And one of the things that happens at this point is this is why so many people find Christianity boring or irrelevant. Because if you stop at this point, this is that experience of you're saved and you're baptized. You're baptized and then what? What, what do you do next? Where, where does life go at this point? Well, there's one more line that leads back up to God's design. And that line says to recover and pursue. In other words, when you experience God's forgiveness in your life, then he allows you to move back toward living God's design for your life. So here's how it works. God designed us to be people of truth. Sorry about that. He designed us to be people of truth. God is truth. He designed us to speak the truth. Sin is when Satan says, you know what? Truth is a lot of work. (laughs) Truth is a whole lot of work. You could say a lie, and you could get out of that situation a lot faster. So you say a lie, which is sin. It takes you away from God's design. You know what lies lead to? They lead to more lies. And ultimately, they lead to brokenness. And you find your life one big lie. You are broken in that lie. And you could either say, you know what? I'm just no good. There's no way I'm going to get out of this. Or you could repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news that Jesus paid the price for that. You can be set free from that. And so you experience Jesus's forgiveness in your life. And then you know what you do? You pursue truth. You say, I'm going to be a person of truth. I'm going to tell the truth. I want not to be tempted by these lies. I want to follow the Lord in truth. And this circle works with any temptation. It works with any sins that we might face. Anything that seeks to take you away from the Lord, he will bring you back, and he will bring you back through the gospel. My hope for you, as we, my hope for me, For us, I I told you about some of my struggles earlier as I was recounting some of those things. My hope for us is that when we face temptation, when we take that step forward and then we're tempted to take steps back, that we would trust the gospel. That we would trust that what Jesus has done for us is enough to lead us forward to living the life that God has called us to live. 
Here's how I want us to conclude uh, our, our time this morning. I want us to conclude by memorizing a verse of Scripture. Guys, if you'll back up to the second slide, I skipped over it earlier. If you'll back up, we're going to memorize together John 10.10. 10. If you want to take your bulletin and look, turn it over and look at the top of the back of your bulletin, John 10.10 10 is on there or it's also up on the screen. John 10.10 10 is the best verse I know of to summarize what it is to face temptation and to overcome that temptation by trusting in Christ. And it says the thief comes to kill, no, to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to say this together in some phrases. We're going to say it out loud. I know it's awkward. It, it's awkward when we speak aloud in church, but we need to do this together to be able to put God's word in our minds. So we're going to say, starting with the word the, going through the word destroy, we're going to say that together when I count to three, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Okay? So when you're thinking about your life and you're facing temptation, it's not that the thief is coming to offer a better option. It's that the enemy of God wants to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. That's what temptation aims to do, to take us away from the Lord and lead us into brokenness. But thank God for the but in the middle of that verse. But I have come. So let's start with the but. Sorry, I confused this. Let's start there in the middle and let's say it to the end. One, two, three. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So there's two parts to this verse. The first part is the temptation, the brokenness, what the enemy wants to do. The second part is what we experience when we trust in the Lord and we experience his forgiveness, his life, his grace. I'm going to count to three. We're going to say the whole thing together, and then we'll move into our very last thing. One, two, three. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I would encourage you this week, take your bulletin with you, write that on a sticky note, put it someplace that you'll see. Memorize this verse. Put God's word in your life. And when those times come this week that you are tempted to take steps back, you can do one of two things. Either think about what a bad dancer Owen is, and that'll put an image in your mind. Or secondly, and that'll put a really bad image in your mind. Once seen, never unseen, if you see that. But uh, you can think about that. Or better yet, you can think about John 10.10. The truth of God's word, the thief wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus wants us to have life and have it to the fullest. I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, Corey's going to come up, and he's going to lead us in that I will follow song one more time. If I can pray for you, if you're facing temptation in life, and and you want to share that, I would love to pray for you right now. If you just need to call out to the Lord and and singing, or, or stand there silently in prayer, you follow the Lord's direction during this time. God, thank you for your word. I can think of hundreds, if not thousands of times in my own life that I felt in my heart that I was walking in the right direction, that I was walking toward you, things were going well, I was reading my Bible, attending church, living for you, and then inevitably that temptation comes and we take those steps back. 
And God, we admit that we are not strong enough to handle that temptation on our own. It is only because of Jesus. Because he entered that wilderness. He faced the same enemy, but he overcame the enemy. Not only in the wilderness, but through the cross and through the resurrection. And so when I face that temptation, I don't want to trust on my own strength and my own strength. I want to trust in him. And Father, I want to follow you. May that be the cry of our hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name.